Well, amen. And I am very excited about tonight's subject. We're in chapter 16 of Revelation. Would you take your Bible and open up there, please? Revelation chapter 16. Now, one of the benefits of having a real Bible, like look at this, folks. This is a real Bible, a Bible that is in book form that you can open up. And one of the great benefits of this is that you can have a, a pen or a pencil and you can underline certain verses. You can put little notes in the margins. Hmm? You could dog ear the corners if you wanted, but I wouldn't suggest you do that. Take care of your Bible. Your Bible will take care of you. I think that it's a wonderful privilege to own the blessed old book. And I hope that you've got it in front of you. Now, tonight we're in Revelation chapter 16, and we're going to deal with the last two plagues. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll have a little intro. We'll work our way very quickly up the um, first five plagues. And then we're going to get into the last two. And so let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? Our dear, wonderful, heavenly father, thank you for the book of Revelation. What a blessing it is to have a book that tells us the end from the beginning. No Christian should ever be in question or doubt as to what's coming down the pipe when we have the book of Revelation. I pray, Father, that you would please encourage our hearts tonight and increase our faith to be looking forward to a coming Savior. Help all of your people that name the name of Jesus and are born again. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, as you will remember, in chapter 15, we were introduced to seven angels, and they were each given a vial, seven vials in total. And these things encompass the wrath of God, the final wrath of God, the final seven plagues of God that he is going to pour out upon the earth. And they're quite something. We see them, uh, chapter 16, verse 2, the first uh, angel went forth and poured his vial upon the earth. And there's this noisome and grievous sore fell upon men, but only the men that had the mark of the beast and upon them, which worship his image. These are the ones that received this horrendous sore and they'll be gnawing their tongue for pain. In verse three, the second angel poured out his vial and the sea became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died. Verse four, the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. This has got to remind you of the plagues that God poured upon Egypt and Pharaoh back in the days of Moses, when God was looking to redeem his people out of Egypt. You can't help but think of that as you read about these plagues. And there's another one coming that we'll soon see in just a couple minutes. Very reminiscent of what happened back in ancient Egypt. And so we come to verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. That's not going to be pretty. And then verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. This is that place where the Antichrist calls his throne, 
And we're not sure what country and what city we're talking about. There's a lot of speculation what it could be. We've got some ideas, but we don't know for sure. However, those in the tribulation will know because they'll know about this one world dictator. They'll know what part of the world and what city in what part of the world. Perhaps they'll even know the building because they'll see it on their internet. But wherever his seat is, the fifth angel pours out his vial and his kingdom was full of darkness. Oh, wow. And what did men do? They blasphemed God. They said the most outrageous and horrible things about God. My, oh my, what a unbelievable, wicked world that we live in. And it's going to get worse. We know that for sure. Well, tonight, Let's look here at verse number 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, I got my clicker. Are we ready, Pastor Devian? Click. All right, the last two plagues. Ooh, those are scary pictures, aren't they? There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Now, it, you'll see circled is the country of Iraq. And you'll see two yellow lines, squiggly lines. Those are two rivers. The one on the right is the Tigris. The one on the left is the Euphrates. The Euphrates River. Uh, let me see if I can hardly see that myself. It's pretty small, isn't it? Sorry, they're not yellow, they're blue. My mistake. They're blue. I don't know. Pastor Devian, can you zoom in on that at all any more than that? Is that possible? Oh, that helps. You see Baghdad there, and then um, you'll see the Tigris, and that's the one kind of on the right, and the one on the left, that's the Euphrates, the Euphrates River. Now, we've seen the Euphrates River Before, back in chapter 9 and verse 14, it says here, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. So apparently there's four angels and they're held captive. They're bound with chains or somehow they're bound in the great river Euphrates. And so this sixth angel with the trumpet is commanded to loose the restraints which are holding the six angels that are bound in the river Euphrates. Now, why are there four angels bound there? It seems logical, but the only angels in the Bible that are ever bound are evil angels. And it's very interesting place for God to bind them. Don't you think in a river of all places? Makes me wonder if there are evil angels bound in other rivers in the world. I don't know. We're not given any indication. So probably not. Well, why are they bound in the Euphrates? The Euphrates is one of four rivers that branched off the main river in the Garden of Eden. That's where Adam was. Now, I'd like to show you another map of the Euphrates. Let's look at this. 
So here we've got uh, a picture artist's rendition. The uh, trumpet, the sixth angel sounds, prepared for an hour and a day and a month, a year to slay the third part of men. And here we have pictured four kind of angels, if you will. And they've got yellow hair or yellow fire on their, their hair. And so um, this is from Revelation 9.14, what we, what we looked at earlier. And let's see. Why, oh why, we're wondering why they were bound in the Euphrates. Well, folks, a couple of suggestions. A couple of suggestions here. Again, just from studying the Bible. It's that the Euphrates is where is near to where sin first entered into the human race. The Tower of Babel was built around there. Nimrod built his city of Babylon near there. The children of Israel were taken to the city of Babylon, uh, which is by the Euphrates. Revelation chapter 18, which we'll be getting to later, speaks of the Antichrist making Babylon his economic and spiritual headquarters. And again, we don't know exactly where that is. And so there seems to be some sort of evil connected with that part of the world. And uh, let's see, we have another picture here. And again, it shows the Euphrates. Pastor Devin, can you zoom in again there for us? There we go. That helps. You see Iraq. They're kind of in the middle. And it shows you uh, this heavy-duty black line. Well, there's, uh, that's the Euphrates River. You can see Babylon down close to the south. Baghdad is up a little higher along the Tigris River. And then Nineveh, that's where Jonah went to. And so that gives you some idea. There you see Israel off to the left. So there we've got the, uh, the Euphrates River. And uh, it, it is going to be dried up. Dried up. And we have a little picture here showing the riverbed. It's all dried up. You've got three very ugly looking frogs. <laughs> frogs there. And that's what we have in verse 13. If you would go back now to. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, who are these three? The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. We've already studied the dragon. That's Satan. We've studied the beast. That's the Antichrist. And we've studied the false prophet. That's that religious leader that rises and works together with antichrist in the world. Now it says here that out of their mouths come these uh, frogs, these evil spirits like frogs. Now that tells you folks that at this point in the tribulation, there are demons inside of Satan, the antichrist and the false prophet. Personally, I believe that at least at this point in the latter half of the tribulation, the two human beings, the two men on earth that are known as the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're demon possessed. I think that the souls, 
the original souls of the men who inhabited those bodies, who were born with those bodies, are in hell and demons have taken over. I think that it requires the presence of demons to accomplish Satan's purpose here. I don't think it would work as well for Satan if humans were in the way. And so he's using human bodies. But who's, in, who's inside? I think those are, are demons, demons inside. Now, frogs, I did a, a quick little study here for you about frogs. You'll find this interesting. Um, frogs prefer a moist habitat. Interesting that they would be in the mouth of those three crazy ones. And of course, frogs are excellent jumpers. Of course, you know that already. They have a highly developed nervous system. And there's actually many parts uh, of a frog that is similar to how humans are built. Very interesting. But frogs have varying levels of poison, uh, toxins in their bodies. And something interesting that we read back in Psalm 78, verse 45. And there the psalmist speaks of the frogs in Egypt. And he says how the frogs helped destroy Egypt because it was a plague from God. Now, I'm not saying that all frogs are, are bad. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that these three sure are. And their purpose is to destroy. That's Satan's idea here is he wins by destroying. In fact, we're told to beware of Satan. He prowls about as a hungry lion seeking whom he may ah, devour. Sadly, many Christians have fallen prey to his tricks. And many Christians find that their Bible time with Jesus every morning, their quiet time has been devoured and it's not there anymore. They find that their time to attend church or even to attend church online ah, gets swallowed up. They find that their once bright candle, letting their light shine for Jesus, ah, has gotten devoured. Satan plays for keeps. And if he can, he will destroy the Christian completely. Beware, beloved. We, we are in a battlefield, in the midst of a war. Satan is the enemy. We must not let our guard down. He knows what he's doing. Now, these three unclean spirits, these are demons. And uh, in verse 14, it says, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole earth. Here's why. To gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So the idea what Satan is doing, what Antichrist is doing, what the false prophet is doing, is they're using demonic forces to gather the world together. And you probably know that's going to be at a place called Armageddon. There's a reason for all of this, folks. Listen, I've been studying these passages for a long time. Satan's plan is not to destroy all people. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to destroy a certain kind of people. He's trying to destroy the Jews. 
Now, why would he want to do that? Why would Satan want to destroy the Jews? Why? Satan has always tried to destroy the Jews. Back in Jeremiah chapter um, 31, starting at verse 35, you can read it later. Jeremiah 31 and verse 35 to 37, I think it is. God makes a commitment to the nation Israel, to the Jews. Basically, God is saying that he is pledging himself as a guarantee that there will always be an Israel, always be a Jewish nation. Satan, if he can destroy the Jews, he will have broken the promise and the covenant of God. He will have toppled the Trinity. You say that's madness. I agree. But whoever said Satan had all his marbles, he's very clever, very, very powerful, very clever. He knows a lot. He knows more than we do. He's stronger than we are. He's going for, for broke here. He's going for keeps and he's trying to destroy the Jews. And I believe that that is the ultimate purpose to gather all of the nations together. The world population has been decimated right down to, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred million at this point, maybe even less, but there's not that many Jews. There'll only be a, a, a few million, a scant few million at the most. Maybe I'm overestimating them, but there won't be very many. Satan is trying to bring all of the armies together so that they will once and for all destroy the Jews. I believe that Antichrist will try to convince the people that all of these plagues are as a result of the Jews. And he will use deceiving demons to rally the armies of the world and bring them together to get rid of the Jews once and for all. Now, as we will see in chapter 19, that plan will be thwarted. God will not allow that to happen. But we have here an incredible panorama, a story that's playing out before our very eyes. These things will come to pass, beloved. Now look at verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And so there's a reminder of Jesus' imminent coming at the end of the tribulation, a promise he makes here of a blessing to Jew and Gentile that are saved, that remain true in their hearts to him. It's like Jesus is saying, don't forget, don't forget. And may I just add that Jesus says that to us. We're being told, don't forget, our Lord could come in the clouds at any time, any day to take us home to himself. Don't forget. And it tells us in the Bible that if a man lives his life in the light of his coming, he'll purify himself. He'll be ready for when Jesus calls him home. That's exciting. All right. Let's get back to our, our uh, overhead here. We've got another picture of these unclean spirits. Now the picture on the right, obviously it's, you know, it's a frog. Okay. On the left, that picture I've taken from an old ancient document that speaks of the dragon, the antichrist, the false prophet. This is hundreds of years old. And this is the artist's drawing. 
showing the three frogs coming out of the mouths of Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet. And so now we have another map. We call it the Armageddon War here. And the, um, the nations are being gathered together. In verse 16 of Revelation chapter 16, it says, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Armageddon. Um, we have a, uh, put that map back up, would you please, Pastor Devian? And uh, zero in, please, on um, Armageddon. There we go. You'll see Jerusalem kind of in the middle. You'll see Armageddon is that little yellow star on the upper left corner of Israel. Now, we've got another picture here. There we go. That picture is a picture of the Megiddo Valley, i.e. Armageddon. And this is as flat as can be. In fact, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte fought a battle not too far from here. And he looked at this and Napoleon said, it's the most natural battleground of the whole earth. And I guess he ought to know. Well, now we come to verse 17. So that was the sixth plague. We come now to number seven, verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. You know, when I read that, it reminds me of John 1930, where Jesus on the cross, when he finished his work said, it is finished. Now here we have this uh, great voice out of the temple. Now, is it the voice of an angel? Is it the voice of God almighty? We're not sure, but it's a great voice. It comes out of the temple uh, of heaven and from the throne saying it is done. And so we come now to this this remark made, it is done. We have also verse number um, 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And verse number uh, 19. Ooh, there's Babylon, an artist's rendition, of course. Verse 19, and the great city, it's a reference to great Babylon. The great city was divided into three parts and the cities of nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And God is really pouring it out. And so whatever the city is, be it an actual city or possibly a, a nation even, an entire nation, an earthquake is going to come and is going to divide it into three parts. Can you imagine the horrific devastation and fire and death and blood? It'll be absolutely horrible. And yet it's culminating the wrath of almighty God upon the wicked, wicked world. And let's see here. 
What's next? Verse 20, and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And I wonder if it'll look something like that. Who knows? And verse 21, wow. It says, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. We have another picture here. Again, an artist's rendition, but there you have a, a man and a woman pictured on the bottom and they have the 666 on their tattooed on their forehead and they've got boils and sores on them. They've, they've already come through all of these horrible things, but now they've got hailstones coming upon them. Now the artist says they're hundred pound hailstones. The Bible calls them a talent in weight. And, um, I tend to think a talent is more like 50 or 60 pounds rather than a hundred. I have here for you a picture. Um, in 1970 in Coffeyville, Kansas, a scientist named Nancy Knight holds a hailstone that fell the largest hailstone ever documented to that point. It weighed 0.75 kilograms, 1.67 pounds. The diameter of it was 14.4 centimeters, 5.67 inches. And that was the world record. The size, imagine that thing, that thing, that's not even two pounds. That thing falls at like a hundred miles an hour or something that hits you on the head. However, the record was broken because um, just last year, July 23rd, I'm sorry, not last year, 2010. I'm thinking of something else in 2010. The record was broken. Uh, now they got an eight inch diameter hailstone weighing almost two pounds. Now that is the world record so far of the largest hailstone. And that thing's only two pounds. Can you imagine something that's 25 or 30 times heavier than that and bigger than that? falling. What kind of devastation would that do? Now I have a little video I'm going to show you. This is what happened last year. It happened in Mexico and the hail fell in, um, in Mexico and someone took some video pictures of it and the hail, uh, at some points was five feet in depth. So take a look, watch this. Guadalajara. There it is. Look at that. There's a tractor trailer plowing its way through. Isn't that something? What a freak, freak storm. You see, they had 30 degrees Celsius temperatures and then boom, this happened. I think God is preparing the world. See the little hail pellets there.
very freakish weather. I think we're just about done. Imagine if that fell in Surrey. No, thank you. I think God is preparing the world. I think COVID-19 helps prepare the world for what's to come. Now, this is my opinion only. I know that. But I do know what the Bible is saying is going to come on the world. Oh, I'm glad we're not going to be here. Beloved, this world is not our home. I hope you're not making long-term plans to get your roots down deep into this world. I hope that you're living for the Lord Jesus. You're using your life right now to live for the Lord Jesus. Maybe he'll come tonight, maybe tomorrow. But it'll happen like that. Like that. He'll come and take us home in the rapture. Let's not make the mistake that so many people make and get their eyes on this world. Boy, I'm excited about chapter 17. Chapter 17, we're going to be looking at the judgment on Babylon. Now, some think that it's the actual city of Babylon over in Iraq. Well, we don't know. I don't think it is. I think it'll be elsewhere. I'm not sure if it's a single city or if it's a a nation. I guess I don't have to know. I'm excited about chapter 17. Be here with me next week as we get into chapter 17. Amen. Folks, it's our opportunity now to, to do something by faith for the Lord. And I'd like to encourage you, if you would go to the donation page and give an offering. It doesn't have to be a large offering, but give something to the Lord for his service tonight. It's so easy to give. There are many ways to do it. Would you do that? And if you haven't yet given something to help out our dear sister, Myra, would you consider doing that? And give a small love gift to help her out. She's currently looking for a a new place to call home, trying to put her life back together, her and her children, trying to get life back together. Would you help her in that? All right, let's go to prayer and then you'll have a chance to give. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for what we've learned tonight. Oh, what a blessing to know that in Christ, we're not going to be here to have to go through any of that. But yet here we are still in the world with a job to do. And so help us, Lord, to serve you, even in this offering time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you give. Mm -hmm.